It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main And there we are. There we it, are. There we are, uh, all up and running. And um, I was just uh, thinking about this as we were going into the show this morning, um, that uh, for the last two months, uh, basically, you don't want to take my blood pressure about 9 a.m. Just, <laughs> you, you, just, you just do not want to do that. Uh, but I'll tell you something. I'm very excited this morning. For those of you watching us on our stream, um, we've we've added yet more <laughs> new software. Oh boy! You need a screen grab of what I'm looking at right now. It's pretty crazy. Uh, oh, are you looking at the uh, the uh, the chat room? Let's see. I got restream chat up. I've got a separate chat up with Kayla. I've got two Facebook images up on two different browsers and my email. It's it's the what? wave of the future. This is what we do now. But I'll tell you, we just added. Uh, some new technology here because and so what the best part of it is I'm looking at the at the uh, chat room mm -hmm. and we just added uh, restream to all of the other uh, we've been for those of you who are interested in the technical aspect of this we've been doing vmix for the last two months which we're still doing because we love the platform and it allows me to do all these bells and whistles and um uh you know some of you are listening to a podcast and it's just audio but you know you got to catch the live stream uh someday on facebook or we're on twitter this week we're back on periscope on twitter uh we're on youtube and the best thing is there's this new chat function, which uh, grabs all of the chat and all of the platforms and brings it onto one screen, which is just uh, amazing. Isn't it, Peggy? I'm looking at it this morning, and yeah. we got uh, uh, Zan okay. is there. Bruce there, Mo, Mo Kathleen just Kathleen, Bruce Bruce is there, um, and they're all watching, and we appreciate that. Uh, and tell your friends. Tell them they should be grabbing the stream and uh, watching the show because we've got a, a, a really, really excellent program for you this morning. Um, uh, we have back on the show uh, a good friend. In fact, let's – why don't we just uh, bring him up there in the low – uh-oh. <laughs> Caught him stretching. Oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Sorry about that, dude. <laughs> That, that is uh, Alan 
Armitage, <laughs> and uh, he is, um, uh, as I said, he's been on the show many times. He's renowned horticulturist, writer, speaker, researcher, written a ton of books. He's written 4,700 books. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, um, but but the and, latest. And revised? And revised books. And, and here we are. I'm holding up the latest here. And what I've been meaning to do, I'm going to put the bells out of the way so that I can just go and I th- and throw the book no, it's down. it's part of like, my morning exercise program. That's right. All right. It's like, but this is what you guys should be getting. Here's, here's what you need to know. This is going to be the perfect holiday gift for just about anybody, including yourself. Um, herbaceous Perennial Plants, fourth edition. It clocks in at about 1,087 pages. Um, that's with indices and, and everything else in there. And photos, uh, beautiful photos. And it may be the only perennial book you ever need, uh, although I could recommend a, cu- a couple of others. Uh, but, Alan, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show. And congratulations, because the last time you were here with us, which, believe it or not, was Easter Sunday of this year. Yeah, I know. I, I, I went back and I had, I had to look at that and go, wait a second, really? We had him on Easter Sunday? I can't believe you did it on Easter Sunday. Uh, and you joined us. Um, and at the time, um, the world was really a scary place. You know what? It's still a scary place. And right now, as we all know, um, because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the numbers just going up uh, in a scary fashion, it is also scary as we go. But at that time, you didn't know, we didn't know whether the horticultural industry was going to survive the year. Uh, and as it turns out, it did in spades. Uh, people took up gardening. A couple of weeks ago, we had Chris Bates from Grower Talks on the program. Uh, and I'm sure you know Chris. And he was saying that some indications are that the world, well, America gained some 16 to 20 million gardeners during the pandemic this year. So you were afraid that gardening, in fact, in your book, in the, in, in the foreword, in the preface, uh, you talk about, is gardening dying? Well, you didn't have to worry about that, Alan. Um, things have changed dramatically this year, haven't they? Well, good morning, Peggy and Mike and everybody else. Uh, I'm happy to be here. But, but you know, this is really interesting. Um, I did say, I, I have asked many times, is gardening dying? Uh, but I also then add the fact that I don't believe it is. I never have believed it is. Uh, the fact that uh, my daughters uh, only took a garden when they had a place to garden is pretty common. And the fact that this whole COVID thing, you know, you say it was a scary place in Easter Sunday. It's scarier today. Um, yeah. And, and the whole COVID thing, if I can just, I, I write about a lot about this and how it affects horticulture and it affects us all. Um, there's a couple of things that, that, that are, are pretty self-evident. One, uh, oh, here comes my beautiful wife. She's bringing me coffee. Yay. Ah, she gets a ding. <laughs> Susan, get me a cup while you're at it. Could you please? Easy, light on the cream, though, right? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) easy on the cream. (laughs) On the COVID thing, um, as we all know, listen, we're all going to die of something. We might get hit by a car, we might die of old age if we're lucky, but uh, what we're not going to die of, at least I'm certainly not, is I'm not going to die of stupid. 
And uh, so, you know, I'm going to I'm going to do what has to be done to keep ourselves zigging while that thing is zagging, because uh, there's a whole lot of people that aren't zigging or zagging anymore. So that that's the first thing. Let's just all be smart. Secondly, as far as gardening is concerned, uh, I, I truly believe and I've written this a number of times and perhaps you've read that during COVID, all these things that are happening, I have, I have without a doubt, I, my, my shoulders are straight. My head is up. We are essential. Uh, it, it's no doubt in my mind that, that we have proven to be essential, not because my two daughters, by the way, are both in hospitals, both within COVID wards and all that crap. They are really essential, but we are essential in a different way. We are therapeutic. You know, the reason that people garden is all 16 million or whatever, because they all of a sudden discovered that, hey, they could put a seed in the ground or a bulb in the ground or a sapling, and they have something to look forward to. That is the one thing that COVID has taken away from many of us, is something to look forward to. And boy, is that not what gardening is. Uh, that is who we are. That is what we do. And uh, oh, my goodness, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry. Yes, I know. I, I I brought you up there, and it, that that didn't that didn't exactly go the way as planned. So, uh, oh, you know why? Because I meant to do it a different way. So uh, I'll bring you back and uh, bring us uh, back into the screens. And Alan's going to uh, open the door back there. And uh, all right, let's let's bring us back in here, and uh, and I will. Oh, there bring we you- are. Yeah, there we are, and I'll bring you back into the corner there. What I what I actually meant to do was a little smoother. It was going to be more like that. There we go. There we go. Well, that's even that's well. That, now you got to see me, unfortunately. But there you are. Well, you are the star of this uh, particular segment. So, um, but uh, you know, it's interesting. You you mentioned that both of your daughters work in COVID wards. That has to have given you a, a real appreciation of the kind of work that those people are doing. You know, when that first hit, and I were we're in. Uh, North Georgia. Well, my daughter, one daughter is in Augusta, where the Masters is taking place right now, and the other daughter is in Macon, Georgia. Um, they are been you know, nurses, and, and but when this thing got got really rough earlier on, I mean, they they were stuck in those war. Well, they were they were there, um, and now then it went down, and of course now it's going back up, and uh, they're just so tired of it. Well, we're all tired of it, but they are truly tired of it. And they don't, they just, I don't know why it seems to keep going up. I just don't understand why people can't figure this out. But nevertheless, it's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, so they are. So it's been, it's been a, uh, a scary time for everybody. And um, yeah, we do the best we can. Yeah, absolutely. The COVID thing has certainly shown uh, that, that people like to do what we do. And, and they've always liked to do what we do. And now they're just sort of coming out of the woodwork because maybe that's all they have to do, but it, it's, it's, it's been a good, <laughs> well, you know, for culture, quite truthfully. It, it has been. And, and I can't believe that back in April and uh, May, we were having discussions about whether horticulture gardening, uh, this industry was essential. I can't believe we were having places in Michigan closed down. There were places in Illinois that some were able to open. We had a a fellow on this show uh, about that time who was an independent garden center operator who was not allowed to open, but he said, but the box stores are open and they're letting people, you know, and it was, it seemed in in hindsight, it seems crazy. Uh, But at the time, that's how confusing everything was. Well, it was confusing, and I was with you, and, you know, New Jersey was open and Pennsylvania was closed, and, and you know, it made a, not a whole lot of sense to keep people away from being outside and, and, and doing those kind of things that really got them through this thing. 
but but no, it was it was absolutely a good question at, at the time. But as you said, uh, people always do surprises, usually in a positive way, and uh, mm -hmm. so here we are. <laughs> yeah, here we are. And at the time, I remember you telling me, "Well, the book's going to come out any day now, any day." And and, and that was a, a kind of a, a trip for you as well, because a lot of things were the pandemic was holding it up, and I imagine other things, and you know, just getting one of these with a thousand pages there's a lot to do um so uh it's the book is out and it's fantastic and i'm i'm just going to keep telling people that they need to pick up a copy uh, of this book and and if you go and i've got the link uh on my blog go to mikenovak.net m-i-k-e-n-o-w-a-k.net and if you click on the link uh to alan's page and you type in the code mike m-i-k-e uh, this comes no, with no shipping charge at all, um, and 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 it, since it weighs about four tons, uh, that's going to save you a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> As Peggy was showing, it's great for so you know it's, it's great for, it's great for 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 muscular control. You you really can work out with that book if you don't want to read it. It's great for dropping on those little critters that are in your garden. Just you know. <laughs> Any chipmunk you can hit, feel free. Uh, it's good for pressing leaves. <laughs> yeah, pressing leaves. I mean, really, it's a good book. It's good book. Good, good book end. But anyway, it, it it it's a fourth edition of this book. Believe it or not, Mike and Peggy, I started this thing over thirty years ago, and so things have definitely changed. And particularly in this edition, what I've been able to do in this edition, then the, the third edition, it was twelve years old. Believe it or not, I can't believe it. But uh, so I did this one, and um, I've added a lot of, of course, cultivars and genera, mm -hmm. species, and all those plant things for sure. The introduction you referred to, Mike, um, I've really, again, gone through a lot of things, north versus south and gardening and, right. you know, what does old, you know, zone map even mean? What about this whole deer thing? Um, but all of that in the introduction, by the way, if you don't want to read anything, read the introduction. I, I have more fun writing that <laughs> Uh, and, and then uh, the other thing I really added to this that I think people will enjoy, particularly your audience, you know, people say, what happened to the asters? They're no longer called asters. <laughs> so what happened to, you know, semisifugas just disappeared on me. Uh, you know, that's the one that really yeah. gets to me is semisifuga. What a great <laughs> name that was. And now... And, and it's gone. Poof. Sounds like a cold. Sounds like, you know, sounds like you're sneezing. But, but, but the fact is, what I did is I took, if you, you know, there's a whole section in the book now, three or four pages on what is new based on mm -hmm. what the, the taxonomists are telling us and what is old, i.e. semisifuga. And so those are there. Uh, the old, the new, even, even the, yeah, right there, yeah, taxonomic changes of interest to readers. Here's the one thing that people who, who quote, unquote, like this stuff want to understand this whole taxonomy thing. There's no such thing as a wrong name. Okay, there's accepted names. So if you want to call semisifuga, semisifuga, feel free. You may be the only one still doing it, but it doesn't mean you're wrong. It just <laughs> means that Actea is the accepted name now. And the same thing with all these asters that nobody can pronounce uh, uh, and, and all these other names that have been changed. Um, you know, it, it, but I, I'm really happy to have that there because I refer to it. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know what's going on half the time, so I'm glad I was able to put it in. Yeah. And, and, well, and you, so that the other thing, too, with the, with this book, as far as the newer stuff, it's, everything's new, but, you know, the whole invasive plant thing. That's Yeah, that's 
Yes. That was it. That's a great section in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but but what this calls attention to, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up, and and and. Uh, you've written about this in in your other books because you're fascinated by names, and you're fa- <laughs> and you're fascinated, <laughs> and you're fascinated by etymology, not entomology, but etymology, um, oh, origins yeah. of names, and you you walk this line um, between the uh, protecting the average gardener from <laughs> the abuses of uh, uh, nomenclature changing out of nowhere. It seems like it. And I mean, how can you take away the name Aster from, from, from a plant? Everybody knows. Everybody knows, you know. Uh, and it's always going to be Aster. It's just, you know. Well, that's always going to be the common name. And that's where the, the average gardener uh, wins because they still call things black-eyed Susans. And there's a hundred black-eyed Susans out there. Um, so, so, so let me just tell you a little story about this whole naming thing. And I know that some of you in the audience perhaps have heard me speak or whatever. But the fact is, what I've done with all my stuff, I hope this book is probably, is probably it's a reference book. And, you know, you're going to refer to it. But it's also for my neighbor and my daughter. So I've tried to make it so it's readable. And the whole taxonomy, you know, they don't even know what taxonomy means. Okay, so if those people who don't want to read that section, they don't read it. But yeah. I was at a meeting in New York a number of years ago, and it was this real highfalutin meeting and all these people there, master gardeners and scientists and botanists and all that. And we had this expert and that expert and the other expert. And they had, uh, you know, a rhododendron expert and a good god and all sorts of stuff. But anyway, they, the audience asked, one person's audience said, uh, what do you think about using common names? This was about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Should people use common names or should people use botanical names? And the guy said, I, and, and the questioner said, I really think that botanical names just should be used because there's only one, whereas there may be more than one common name for any given plant. The one expert agreed 100%. Yeah, people got to learn botanical names. The other expert agreed 100%. Yes, yes, there's only one name. Botanical name works. I got up and said, you're all full of it. <laughs> if you actually think that gardening is going to survive people like you, the fact is, my daughter, your neighbor, your friends, they like gardening, but they don't want to know necessarily what the botanical name is. They might, and therefore they can learn it. But there's nothing wrong, Mike, with black-eyed Susan. I love that name. There's nothing wrong with naked ladies. For Lycoris, there's nothing wrong with all these wonderful common names that have stories behind them. You know, Joe Pine. You have a whole book about that. worry about anything else. Yeah, and I, we can talk about that in a minute. But the fact is, after I said that, everybody sort of was silent, and then everybody applauded. <laughs> <laughs> really, come on, we're talking to we're talking to the real people here, and and I have I'm a scientist. I love the taxonomy. I love the whole scientific element to what mm-hmm. we do because long days, short days, you know, shade, sun, they're all science based. But the fact is, hey, it's a shade loving plant. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> well, the 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 point I was going to make is that so you you are on you've got the back. You've got the backs of the of the average gardeners, but you're also a scientist, so you see both sides. And I'll be honest, there are some plants I cannot remember the common name, and I don't know why. Uh, you know, I go right to to you know, solidago is one of them. 
I'm like, yeah, yeah. why can't I remember whatever Golden that is? Rod. Goldenrod. I can never <laughs> remember Goldenrod. Um, and uh, and Pulmonaria is another one. I actually mm-hmm. like, I think Pulmonaria is a great name, uh, even though well, some And people, the common name ties in nicely on Pulmonaria. Well, Lungwort. Well, yeah. yeah. The thing about these common names, just like botanical names, they all have stories, okay? You know, often botanical names reflect the person who found it, reflect the area, mm-hmm. the region from which it's from, Acanadensis, for example. All these botanical names have reasons. Some make more sense than others. Um, but common names, now they have stories. I mean, was there really somebody called Joe Pye? The answer is <laughs> yes. I mean, and it's a fabulous story. I mean, pulmonaria. What's pulmonaria got to do with it? It was named for the lungs, i.e. the pulmonary system. And it became known as lungwort, the common name, because mm-hmm. wart, W-O-R-T, means useful for or heals. So it yeah. was useful for or healing ailments of the lung. Now, it didn't work worth a damn, but that's <laughs> part of great story um, where the 1700, 1800, the botanists, horticulturists, mostly botanists, of course, the, all med- medical people were botanists. And it was called, yeah. uh, it, it, was, it was called the Doctrine of Signatures. And this fellow... By the way, I've got all this written down, but this fella said if a plant looks like a body part, it probably heals that body part. No, I mean, it makes no sense, yeah. but that's how <laughs> lungwort, because it had the spots that looked like the alveoli of the lungs, became known as pulmonaria. Isn't that a cool story? And that lungwort, anytime you see a wart, it means useful for, spiral mm-hmm. for spiral wart, lungwort Yeah, for it's in traditional medicinals. Yeah, they're all medicinal of some kind yeah. or other, and some made sense, and most didn't. <laughs> They're great it, stories. It was actually um, an article within the last week in the New York Times of how that's making a comeback in time of COVID. Yeah. That people are now looking at those names. Well, if I, I, I don't, I don't want to peddle anything, but if I might, I, I'm just going to mention this book. Aha! Uh-huh. I knew that was going to come. Uh-huh. Here we go. <laughs> oh, oh, I don't know how to do this in front of the screen. There we go. No, no, move it to the other the other way. There you go. There you go. Put it in front of your face. Naked ladies and forget me nots. How plants get their names. And believe it or not, Mike and Peggy, as spectacularly wonderful as my new book is with all thousand pages, this is my bestseller. And yep. uh, this is where common names come from. Joe Pye. I mean, I won't even. Anyway, to, just just that that book is just. I, I'm asked to speak. Not anymore. I'm not going anywhere, but I have to speak a lot of places. They want no stories. They want, that's right. People want stories. That's, well, there's, you know, what I found is uh, about uh, gardening and gardening shows. Now, uh, I don't know uh, if you ever uh, had a regular radio show or anything like that. There's two things that people want they want stories, but they also, uh, back in the day, um, when I, like 23 years ago, when I started doing this on the radio with Kathy O'Malley at WGN Radio, uh, we thought we were going to turn on the mic and just have a conversation with people, you know, sit around and we're going to have a cup of coffee and we'll talk about our plants and and they'll have tips for us. And nope, that's not the way it works. Gardening shows, people want the guru to sit there and they want to pepper them with questions that they answer right on the spot. And uh, they Stop want the the, Yeah, exactly. And they want yeah, that why, more. Why did my plant die? Uh, because you're a bad gardener. That's why. Yeah, right. Uh, they don't, but they they do want stories, and the stories are great. But more than anything, they want their garden questions answered right now. Um, 
but uh, I, I'm not surprised that uh, uh, people respond uh, to your other book uh, because that's that's what we're talking about here. You bring some of that to uh, to Herbaceous Perennials, uh, fourth edition by uh, Alan M. Armitage. Um, <laughs> we we have to keep uh, hitting this so that people know. Uh, and I'm telling you, folks, this this is gonna this is like all right. Uh, and I know you know Michael Durr, but this is like having Michael Durr on your shelf. You have this, you have Durr. You, there's like two or three other books that are essential books. Um, there's a, a, a bulb. That wonderful book uh, is a beautiful, beautiful book. Uh, that's another one. And and what's uh, Anna? I can't remember her name. I could run and get the book. It's in the other room, but um, uh, I'll do that during the break and, and, and tell you about that one. But there's, there's, there are a few books that are just going to last mm-hmm. forever and you can just open, you know, even if the varieties change and they do all the time, how, the time. Um, what happened in the 12 years since the previous book in terms of varieties, what did you discover? Um, are we moving in a good direction? I, I read one place, uh, okay, Menarda. I went to Menarda's. What I did, yeah. because I'm not reading a thousand pages all the way through, and nobody's going to read a thousand pages all the way through. Yeah, I, I dropped into the plants I liked. Exactly. That's what. I, well, one was Menarda, but you you're a little bit disdainful about Menarda, there, uh, Mister Armitage. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you asked what's happening. You asked what's happening. Okay, let's use Menarda as an example. Uh, if you happen to be where you know Menarda's native, and if you happen to have a you know, just the old pink or red form of Menarda, it's pretty good. What's happened with the, with the breeding, and I'm talking 20 years ago, a lot of the breeding was done in Europe. A lot of the breeding was done in Holland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's great stuff. It's beautiful stuff in a greenhouse in a container. But for many areas, the darn stuff got mildew. Uh, I mean, mildew on Menarda is nothing, <laughs> not telling any secrets at the school here. Nope. And the other, the other thing, it, of course, became very aggressive. Now, so what's happened? So that's why that's why my comments are my little bit disdainful comments. I've also tried many of the new ones. I try. I can't obviously trial every single plant that comes out, but I try through the gardens I have and the gardens at the university where I was involved in to, to see how they do. And I'm only in one spot. I'm not in Chicago. I'm in North Georgia. So it's going to be different mm-hmm. than what you see. But the fact is some of these really dwarf, lovely places, the whole world has become dwarf in the world of gardening. Every breeder wants to make dwarf plants so that every retailer can put more shelf space. But the fact is that some of this dwarf stuff, when you when you put a characteristic like either dwarfness or perhaps another character, something else might disappear. And, and I'm really not impressed with a lot of these dwarf ones, but that's me. So, you know, the, the nice thing about cultivars is we have the ability, we have so much to choose from. And choose uh, something dwarf or something red or something white in Menarda, feel free. Uh, it, the fact that it's not my favorite doesn't mean I don't recommend it. I, <laughs> I love to Well, I... Uh, again, another fabulous story, right? I mean, it's Oswego tea. It was used as a substitute for tea after the Boston Tea Party. So it's got a great story. So I love the yeah. stuff, but that's, but that's my issue in the book. I sometimes get a little... No, 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 and that's that's the uh, it's the point though. You have your opinions, and and they they spill out throughout the book. Uh, but those uh, you back them up with uh, facts and and with observations and uh, anecdotal material from other folks. You go for the science, and then you say, you know, this is a plant that maybe you don't want, uh, or it's going to have this problem. You know, uh, I I looked, I read that about Menarda, and I said, yeah, it gets powdery mildew, so. Um, I have a soft spot in my heart for Menarda because my mom grew it and my grandmother grew it. Uh, 
and uh, they called it firecrackers. Um, and yeah, firecrackers. All right, I'll, I'll add that to my uh, to the app thing. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, but, but you know, a lot of clients say, "What's the future?" Well, breeding is never going to stop. The readers, it's like you know, it's, it's, it, they're like alcoholics; they just can't stop themselves, and, and so they're going to be breeding something for better or for worse. And so we're going to get another thirty euchres next year, probably you know another thirty uh, echinaceas next year. Are they all going to be better than what's out there? Heck no. Uh, so you know, you you try It'll to just find be those new. That really work. Yeah, but they're going to be new. But but I really do try my very best to recommend. Anyhow, and again, this is just some of the stuff I do. I have a YouTube channel. You can see all the stuff I like in the book. There are ones I say I like better than others, but it doesn't mean mm-hmm. the other ones aren't any good. It just means that we, it's impossible to trial everything. All right. And uh, as we're talking about Mike, it's all about marketing. It it is. And speaking speaking of marketing, we need to take a short break. As you can see, uh, we uh, the program now is allowed to breathe a little bit. These conversations go a lot longer than they did yeah. in the past. Um, so we're going to return and do another uh, half hour with Alan Armitage. If you've got questions, Peggy's monitoring the chat room. So uh, pepper uh, Dr. Armitage with your perennial plant questions um, and comments. Uh, you can go to Facebook, you can go to Twitter, you can go to YouTube. It's all going to the same page, which is so cool. All right. Uh, and uh, we will be right back with Dr. Armitage after this. The folks at Blazing Star know that good soil biology means good soil. That's why they sell products from trusted industry leader Tinyo that contain more than 30 species of beneficial bacteria and fungi chosen for their critical roles in soil and plant health. In other words, whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, they help you grow the life in your soil so your soil can grow your plants. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. You can reduce your household garbage 30% by the simple act of composting. But I live in a condo or an apartment, you say. Well, if you're in the Chicago area, contact Collective Resource Compost. They give you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote if you're working with your community. You fill it with food scraps, they swap it out on a regular schedule, and voila! You're returning organic matter back to the soil instead of creating harmful methane in a landfill. Go to collectiveresource.us. They make composting easy. There's a new urgency for people to grow their own food, and thanks to Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, your seedlings will be healthier with a better germination rate and faster growth. You'll get lower operating costs and higher yields. That's because the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They have a 50,000-plus-hour minimum lifespan, and they're made in America. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase, and go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Mike Novak Mike Novak Mike Novak Sunday mornings Peggy Malecki All together now Mike Novak Mike Novak Mike Novak Sunday mornings with Peggy Malecki Cha 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 uh, Thank you Mr. Maskovich Yeah that's our friend <laughs> 
I'll get my guitar out back there. We'll have a really good Ah, you If you can, uh, that's fine with me. We're talking to Dr. Alan Armitage. You know, and I'm going to do that one, Peggy, uh, before we get back to to Dr. Armitage, because what happens is if I'm reading it the next time and trying to deal with Rick at the same time, Ah, that that gets a little nutty. We we do have a request from folks, Dr. Armitage. Can you please move much closer to your microphone? Everyone's saying they can't hear you. Yeah, I don't know if you can turn up your level at all there. Well, while I'm uh, reading this, perhaps uh, you can take a look at your volume and see if there's a there is look a look at your a, audio a, output setting. Um, uh, hey, actually, I, I, audio I, in. So, uh, by a, the way, the sec uh, is that it. If that's it, uh, we're it is what it is. Then, so folks, uh, we'll be right back with uh, Doctor Armitage. Um, the second session of Forefront Ideas in Food and Farming is happening today, but. The problem is, unless you're registered, you won't be able to participate. Now, I'm not saying that to be mean. Um, we're, we're saying that so that you'll be prepared for the next workshop on December 13th, which is Regenerative Agriculture Details of a Profitable Journey. Nationally recognized North Dakota farmer, and boy, they're having a lot of COVID issues right now. Mm-hmm. Farmer and rancher Gabe Brown stands at the forefront, speaking of forefront, of the regenerative agriculture movement. He is perhaps best known for popularizing the concept of cover crop cocktails as a key strategy for jumpstarting soil health and nourishing soil biology. Gabe is a farmer, rancher, author, and healthy food system advocate, and he will share the story of how, after four years of hail and drought, he, along with his family, took a broken, degraded, and unprofitable farm and by following nature's principles, regenerated it into a healthy, profitable farm teeming with life. The Forefront sessions are free online via Zoom, but you need to sign up. Go to mchenry.edu slash Forefront to register and check out upcoming events in December, January, and February of 2021. Once again, that website is mchenry.edu slash Forefront. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, are you are you delving into the uh, the technical aspects of your computer, or are you just going to lean in? No, I'm going to lean in, but I am delving into it, and I just I'm not very good at delving, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I, I, gotta, I gotta try. Uh, anyway, I, I'll I'll just yell louder. Um, we have a we have a book club group, by the way. We're all we're all you know. As they say, elderly, and so we have to be our ten foot apart thing, and we're just yelling at each other. So I'm used to this. I'm not <laughs> here. So, 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 uh, but I'll just try. I don't know what I'm doing here. Let's see. My volume is up, and my input or my output. I'm not sure. It should be. It both. should be the output. If you can put the output up a little bit, that might yeah. uh, help. That's what we're looking for there. Uh, the output is up as high as it's going to get. So okay. So you folks listening, right. uh, you just you get closer to your computers, okay, and and just listen to Doctor well, Armitage. Huddle around the computers here. That's that's uh, the... right. Sorry. No, no, no. That's don't don't you worry about that. We'll uh, we will we will get through this. Um, so here we are, and you've got uh, the the book out. Um, I w- would you. Explain to me the uh, the place of perennials in the garden. You actually go into this just a little bit uh, at the beginning. Um, 
I mean, you know that they're just one part of any garden. People talk about the bones of the garden, and you and you talk about uh, the annuals that you fill in. You know, some people even have lawn in their gardens. Who knows? <laughs> well, let's talk gardening. Let's talk gardening. I do. Oh, by the way, uh, those people who actually are watching this, uh, they probably don't recognize me. So I. Uh... There we go. There we go. <laughs> there we go. So, you know, I thought I'd better bring my uniform with me anyway. But but the, the, the fact is, gardening is, uh, this hat, by the way, saved my life a thousand times just for some. And I'll, I'll take it off now. Just That's what, the, the Tilly hat? Tilly hat, yeah. Uh, it, it really is the best hat ever. And uh, truly, I mean, if, if I was smart back in my youth, I would have invested in liquid nitrogen. Now, those of you who go to a dermatologist know what I'm talking about. So uh, <laughs> whenever you go there, they, they zap you so they get rid of all these things that hopefully won't grow. Anyway, the, the, the hat, get, wear a hat, that's my, my bottom line. But anyway, let's talk gardening. Um, there, is, there is absolutely nothing, I, I, I love roses in my garden. Mm-hmm. I hate rose gardens, okay? I, I just, I don't wanna see a rose garden because I find them after the first three sniffs and the first beautiful colors, it's kind of boring, just roses. But roses in the garden, now that's another thing. So perennials in the garden are, to me, I love them, I like trying them, I like doing all of those things. They're kind of essential. But uh, so are my annuals, so are my trees, and so are my shrubs, and my ferns, and my bulbs, and everything else that's in my garden. If you come to my garden, you're all invited to beautiful Athens, Georgia, by the way, uh, just don't come all at once. But if you come to my garden, um, I got a ton of things. I put one thing on top of the other uh, because I, you know, that's my weed control system. Don't let anything grow. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's that's the way you've got to do it. Uh, that's the way I do it as as well. In in my garden is uh, yeah. just put so much in. Uh, Roy Diblick uh, talks about this yeah. all all the time. Um, he's not a fan of mulch. Um, and he's been trying to get people weaned off of mulch for a long time. Uh, and he says the way you do it is put all your plants close together. And in the old days, we were told that was bad because the air circulation wouldn't be good. So what changed there, uh, Dr. Armitage? What, well, I'll tell you what's changed. Uh, there, you know, people are going to use mulch. No, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact is that I think what has changed, I don't know if anything's changed, Mike, I think Certain people like like yourself, like me, perhaps Peg, like Roy, I love to have things in layers. I put ground covers everywhere, and then I plant in the ground cover, mm-hmm. and then I plant a clematis above the ground cover to go into a tree. So I think that in my garden, and in fact in many people's gardens, there are so many plants to try. Yeah. If you put everything three feet apart, you're going to have five plants. You put them on top of each other, and, and again, I say it in all due respect, some of them aren't going to make it, but... There we go, Darwinism right there. Uh, so, but uh, I, I, I'm not sure it's, the whole air circulation is still important. For instance, if I grow flocks, now there's some fabulous flocks out there that don't get mildew anymore at all. They're spectacular, but some of the old ones perhaps do. I do try to thin those out a little bit. I do try to get a little bit more air circulation around those things, but I still got a clematis growing through it. You know, yeah. so and a lot yeah. of us are going to have flocks that have been in the garden for years and you're not going to rip it out. So. You're not. You're not. So you do the best you can. Uh, um, 
you know, IPM, all those things that we're talking about. I don't know anybody who sprays mm -hmm. anything anymore, at least who are gardeners. There's a big difference between having a garden and having a landscape. Uh, and, and so if you are a gardener and you get your fingernails dirty, you're not going to be spraying a lot of stuff. You're not. You're going to be working no. with your garden. Like, you know, that's so interesting. Uh, I, I, I'm with you. I find that people are spraying. I'm thinking, what are you, what are you doing? Why, why are you doing that? Um, it's, you're not uh, paying attention. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and as for flocks, see, I'm a flocks snob. I do not grow flocks. Oh, uh, I love flocks. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get enough of them. They, they just appear in my garden. They're, they're, yeah, they're native, yeah. so. Uh, well, but, but, but that, 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 that's what's changed, I think. For a gardener, and all you have to do is, well, geez, for people listening to us, there's, there's a ton of things out there to try. And, yeah. and As one of our listeners to... just uh, posted, lasagna gardening, that you're going to just yeah, layer lasagna in with all sorts of things. <laughs> well, I, again, and that, that's, a, that's a preference. Uh, you know, I know lots of people have very, very um, calm and spacious, interesting gardens. But, uh, you know, mine is kind of wild. But my, my wife, Susan, she would much rather have a Vista. Me, I want stuff in your face. So <laughs> well, and and one of the things that you admit is that uh, you, you're not much of a designer. You're just interested in growing plants. And I kind of I have told people that over the years Um for those people, you know, and there are some people who have a wonderful eye for that. I'm not. I don't think I'm that guy. Um, but uh, the goal, I think, is just have healthy plants. And if you have healthy plants, you're going to be very happy as a gardener. Uh, and then you get mm -hmm. to do a lot of different things. And you might you might come up with a beautiful design or you might not. But if your plants are healthy, uh, you're doing a good job. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really respect good design. And, I, and it's sort of, you know, I can't define it but i know it when i see it kind of thing but for yeah. me but for me i'm not designing anybody else's garden if they ask me for help i say here's some great plants and just like you mike if they're healthy then the color will be damned i mean if they're healthy they work well to me it's it's great and you you'll you after a while you know just to me a design evolves you know you put all the stuff in, you know what you're doing and say oh maybe i'd like something back there or something up here as soon as you get to know a bit more and that's what gardening is gardening is an evolution your garden's never finished. You don't have to be crazy like we are to enjoy a garden. But, oh, boy, it's just fun to put something in and see what happens. Uh, so, so you know, I, I'm all for design. I, I just can't do it. <laughs> I, well, I like I your comment in the book the about you're the guy with, with the pot and the spade walking around trying to figure out where to put the plant. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it takes me like three days to put a plant in because I keep saying, no, that's not going to work. No, that's not going to work. But it's all about to try to get the proper environment and as well, you mentioned lasagna gardening. That's also a term for, you know, layering your soil, just making good soil. You get yeah. good soil, then, you know, things fall into place after a while. Uh, we had a question. Somebody wanted, what was that website again? And I realized I hadn't even given out the website. So uh, you can go to uh, alanarmitage.net, and that's A-L-L-A-N. Armitage, A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E dot net, uh, if you want to bypass my website, but I've got that no, link. No, no, no. <laughs> no, you don't want to bypass. Uh, <laughs> no, Mike, but no, don't bypass me. Just go. In fact, because of Mike and Peggy, that's why I put this free postage on. For the people who can bear us, you you deserve a bonus. And so um, <laughs> if you go off the website, uh, and, and by the way, that Mike thing goes for any book, including a New book that we were talking about, the Naked Lady book. Uh, oh, great. Have, you know, any book at all yeah. will give you free postage. So uh, if you want to do two books or five books, I don't care. It's yeah. This is because of, <laughs> we, my, 
these guys actually asked me to come on this thing. I said, okay. And there I, I, I'm going to hold it up again. I mean, you are going to make your friends happy. You're going to make yourself happy if you get a copy of this book. And I know I'm hawking it mercilessly, but it is that good. <laughs> Um, and, and, uh, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, someday you're going to, the power is going to be out and you can't get on the internet and you're going to pick up the book and, and look something up. Um, um, but, uh, so you can, again, alanarmitage.net or go to mikenovak.net where I've got the links there. And again, you get free postage if you, uh, uh, purchase any of Dr. Armitage's books. Peggy. I was going to ask what surprises did you find as you were revising the book where there's some things that oh. you just didn't expect? Well, when you ask about what's new and what's different and varieties, cultivars, uh, nothing goes away. I was going to try and get rid of half these cultivars. I mean, I got cultivars back for the first edition. Yarrow, there must be 50 different cultivars. I figure who can have buy this? You can find anything on the internet, it turns out. So, wow. you know, that, that while well, everything has changed, Nothing has changed in some respects, although yeah. those that are marketed are the ones you're going to see at your garden center and the ones you're going to see, you know, when you first go on the, online. Uh, what else has changed for sure? That, again, these things like this whole invasive thing has changed. The whole, we still have the same concerns we had 30 years ago with, with insects, disease and deer and this and the other thing, but they've all gotten a, a little bit more upfront. Uh, we think we know what we're doing. IPM has really changed a lot of people's outlook on how, what they do. Uh, and I'm, that's, um, you know, I think that's, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, integrated yeah. pest management is what the IPM, integrated pest management. In other words, use your eyeballs first. Don't get the sprayer out. Well, you know, it's interesting. When I started in this business uh, about uh, 23 years ago, IPM was cutting edge. You were, you know, you were still trying to explain to people what IPM, as you say, integrated pest management. And, and, and one of the best ways I've heard it described is start, you start with the least toxic method of dealing with pests and diseases, and then you work your way to the most toxic. And, and, and the goal is that you never get to the most toxic method it's amazing i i tell my friend i mean i do a what i call common sense gardening and people come here or whatever and so the common sense thing about this whole pest thing or disease that matters first thing look at the darn plant see if there's anything yeah. there your first line of defense is your eyeball your second line of defense is take your hose and knock these darn things off if it's an insect and 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 just do something simple like that. The, the last thing is you want the last thing you want to do is, you know, put all these chemicals on that are going to kill everything that's good as well as everything that's bad. So we we use it at the very end. But like you say, least toxic is my eyeball. Mm-hmm. Most toxic is my seven dust, and uh, that's about as toxic as I'm ever going to get. So, but but, and again, if I might, Mike and Peggy, one of the things you said, you know, pick up the book and read it. That's great. But the other thing I've done, and it's on the web site if you want, is I've developed an app for everybody to put in their back pocket. Mm-hmm. So you have horticulture in your back pocket. And on the app, I've got things like IPM. What does it mean? What do you do? As well as every darn plant known to man. So it, it's, it's there for you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you, Peggy. But, but it, but it, it know, even it says at the top, everything. Everything. <laughs> it costs you $4.99. But, you know, think of that if you go to McDonald's and what happens to that $4.99. <laughs> and, I, and I update it all the time. But anyway, I'm just saying I'm in your back pocket if you want me to be, uh, and it's, it's it's a nice thing to do. And you can you can easily get that on it. Well, but I, but I, I will say some. 
Oh yeah, we got some great to comments. We got you... some questions and comments here too. All right, all right. I, I, I would just, I'll just say something, and then Peggy, why don't you get to some of those questions and comments? Sure. Um, at apps. Um, I've tried a number of apps, and um, um, some of them work, and some of them don't. And it's uh, uh, there are some really good ones. I guess iNaturalist is is a really really good mm-hmm. app. Um, and um, mm-hmm. in fact, we were hoping to have uh, Jeff Screntney on the show, who's trying to add twenty five hundred uh, plants and animals to uh, iNaturalist in one year. So <laughs> I don't know if he's going to well, do that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. but so thank goodness you have uh, uh, your app out there, too, uh, Dr. Armitage. So, Peggy, what, what are you seeing uh, online here? Well, I will start with the newest um, coming from Audrey, who is um, she actually she and her husband run a meadery. Uh, she's asking about heirloom plants, bee friendly flower bulbs and other plants that are bee friendly. How are we addressing mm-hmm. that? Oh, that's easy to address. And I say easy, not easy to address, maybe not the easiest thing to do. Uh, there's, I mean, there's a ton of plants that are pollinator friendly and particularly bee friendly. Um, you know, and they don't have to be native, but although many of our native plants are, since we don't have hardly any native bees here, um, mm-hmm. most of the bees that were, I mean, we have native bees to be sure, but like for instance, the honeybees are not native and stuff like that. But the fact is there are a lot of plants that attract bees and pollinators. We are Monarda, for example. Here, here. Uh, so there's a, those, and there's our heirloom plants. But even an, uh, uh, an introduced plant like, I don't know if you know Biden's, but it's a little annual. Uh, there's a ton of bees just love that thing. Go to a calamintha. Right yeah, that a lovely little white plant. I mean, it just attracts yes. a ton of bees. Oh, and, and it's an easy plant to grow. I think it was a perennial plant of the year last year or two years ago. Yeah. And so everybody has it. So to answer your question, bees and, you know, people are sort of afraid of bees. But the fact is, <laughs> the bee is... What more interested in the flower than they are in you? So, excuse me. One thing I might add is on the on that uh, app, if you get it, I have a whole section on pollinators. So those plants that attract pollinators, like bees and butterflies and things. Excellent. Uh, That's uh, um, something else that you were doing, and I know Mike and I both watched a couple of them. Um, your walkabouts during COVID, where you took people through your garden. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, a couple of our listeners I, I, have said that that really helped them and inspired them. Oh, good. Thank you. I, I, I decided to, you know, I have a, a little group that tries to keep me on the straight and narrow here because, you know, I'm an old Luddite. I don't quite know all this stuff, but I'm learning very quickly. Uh, and so we decided just to do a walkabout about April in my garden. It's just a little residential garden, 60 by 100, whatever. But I have a ton of plants in there. And I take my little phone and I walk about and on a Facebook Live. And I, you know, had a couple hundred people. And then I had 500 people. I had 2,000 people walking around with me from all over the world on this crazy little phone and through my crazy little garden. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun. And the last one I did, I talked to Mike about it this morning. I did the last one just last weekend, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a garden center near Atlanta where I talked about, or where the, the experts uh, with me talked about houseplants succulents and bringing them in and all that kind of stuff and we had nearly 2,000 people on that one so it's really been a lovely way to learn again my point is people want to know you know I'm not forcing anything down anybody's throat but it's amazing that they just they just like to they enjoy it and I do too so it works wow somebody's backing up I can hear them beeping there I'm here (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, or there would be barking as well. All right, we've we've got like about uh, about five minutes left here. Um, do, do we have uh, any any uh, questions that uh, have come in? I I saw one interesting comment about Clematis. We were talking about Clematis, and some yeah. people. Some and, people um, it was. Ma- uh, Dini says. Mom wanted clematis in the garden, so as a welder, I created a metal tree form for it to grow up. It became a beautiful right. focal point for the garden. I so need your new book. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I love clematis. I, you, know, I go, you go through various stages of life. I, you know, I, I went through my geranium stage of life with hardy geraniums, and that just about killed me. I'm going through my clematis stage of life now. And in my tiny garden, I probably have 12 of them. And, yeah. and this is tiny garden. So yeah, what if your walkabouts focused on them? Yeah, I, I just they're just they're just fun to do. So good for you, good for you indeed. Uh, so what's next? I mean, obviously you 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 want to get this book <laughs> out there. Uh, as you as you mentioned before, it's possible that there will be a fifth edition, but it's way too early to. <laughs> Well, the interesting thing about this book, I know we don't have a lot of time, is that book is available both in soft cover and hard cover. And I, I notice you guys have the soft, and it's great. Yes. But for what it's worth, if you go on the website, and it asks you if you want soft or hard. The hard is only $10 more than the soft. It's outselling the soft 10 to 1. Uh, really? So, really? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Uh, and now, my, my publisher deals with schools and that stuff, and that's what the soft are going to be sure. But uh, yeah. anyway, of course, I'm well, it's, it's hold out, up longer. That... <laughs> well, the hardcover, especially for in and out of the garden and everything else, will hold up longer. So, but that's cool. And I, I'm actually doing, I, I, I'm trying to work on another book. It has nothing to do with horticulture. Uh, but uh, that, that's, that's yet to be done, to be sure. But I, I keep writing. I write the column for Greenhouse Grower. Yeah. I'm always updating the app and the YouTube. And You've I got have your a couple blog. of online classes. Yeah, then then that newsletter, whatever. I just try to stay out of trouble. Hey, and 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 I'm glad you mentioned that staying out of trouble because the one thing I meant to, uh, I did want to talk to you about, and we have just a couple minutes, is you voted in Georgia uh, uh, yeah. in this past election. Uh, congratulations! And people are going to say, "Well, yeah, what you know, everybody votes." Well, what's your particular story there, uh, Alan? It's a, again, I, I guess I just tend, turned into a storyteller, but we, we're Canadian. Okay, We came from Canada. Hey. And we've been in Georgia for a long time, and we were on green cards for a long time. Uh, and we could do everything you do, including paying taxes, etc., except we were not able to vote. Well, things have gotten a little crazy in this country. And obviously for Canadian, twice as crazy. But uh, so we went through just two years ago, we became American citizens, my wife and I. So we are now... Americans, and uh, we have dual citizenship, but this was our first ever federal vote. And I couldn't wait, and I just was so happy because, well, we did we did what every, every American should do. We, we took advantage of what we call democracy. And so we voted, and away we go. And uh, so that was our first one, and it was great. And people in line actually learned that we were our first one. Didn't matter, they're Democrat, Republican, whatever, they all shook our hands, or at least, well... <laughs> They elbow bump. Yeah, did our elbow, and uh, it was it was nice, and we, we feel very very comfortable here. And 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 here you are uh, in the state that is that was the focal point of the elections yeah. as well. I mean, what a bonus that was. Yeah, no, it it, it who would who would have thunk uh, mm-hmm. that that we would go uh, Democrat, and it certainly 
again, without getting political, certainly made my heart sing. And uh, we have, and Georgia being a swing state, who, who knew? But uh, we also have two Senate races coming up that are extraordinarily important. So, yeah, uh, we're right in the middle of it, and I'm happy to be. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. You say for every every uh, vote for uh, the blue candidate, you'll give him a copy of this book, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would love to, believe me. I, I don't think you could do that, actually. That's called bribes, so uh, we're, we're, we're not going to do that. Yeah. And also called going broke. But, uh. Yeah, yeah you, would, you would absolutely go broke. Uh, Dr. Alan Armitage, uh, thank you so much. What a pleasure to have you on again. Pick up a copy of Herbaceous Perennial Plants, 4th edition. You can go to alanarmitage.net. It's A-L-L-A-N, just so you spell it correctly. And if you're a little worried about that, um, you go to MikeNovak.net, and all the links are there. And uh, I, I guess we're going to have to check in very soon and see uh, how everything's going. Please do. Uh, let's do this again. I love it. And thank you, everybody, for uh, listening and watching. And uh, this is great. Thank you, Peggy and Mike. You're doing a fabulous service for everybody. Well, thank you, Alan, and so are you. Um, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back to talk birding. I'm Vic Nakashima with Bartlett Tree Experts. Let me ask you something. Have you ever considered having a professional arborist prune your trees? You and your trees will benefit from it, and I can show you why. Follow me. One of the more common reasons for pruning is the removal of dead branches. Now, in truth, with a little help from the wind, a branch like this would simply break off and fall on its own, but in a very uncontrolled way. And a branch this size falling from this height could be a very serious hazard. Our team of arborists through pruning will ensure that these branches make it to the ground in a safe way. Staying clear? All clear. When necessary, we can use ropes and rigging gear to control branches once they're cut, protecting anything of value that might lie below. You'll notice that when a branch simply breaks off on its own, it usually leaves behind a stub. And it seems harmless enough, but this is actually now an impediment to the tree's natural process to close over that wound. By making a precision cut, an experienced arborist can expedite that process, shielding this site from pests and decay. When these lateral branches grow too long, they can actually become too heavy and break. But we know how to prune to reduce the weight and almost eliminate this risk. And we can also prune them to make sure that they don't contact your house while still keeping the tree's health and beauty intact. Stand clear. All clear. Worried about your tree blowing over in the wind? We can selectively remove live branches so that strong winds will pass through your tree's canopy more easily. You know, hazard reduction is important, but pruning can also provide harmony to your landscape. These lower branches are blocking the sun and shading out this garden, and the lawn is suffering as well. By pruning these branches, we can raise the crown and achieve the goal of sunlight. It may surprise you to know that Bartlett Tree Experts also specializes in the pruning of ornamental. There's a lot to consider when you're pruning a tree like this, 
and we do it every day. So, whether it's fruit trees, shrubs, young trees, or mature, Bartlett Tree Experts can provide all your pruning needs. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup-son of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. And here we are back on the show. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And look at this. And everybody's here uh, ready to go with the next segment because uh, Peggy and I got uh, uh, an email the other day from our buddy who's in the lower left corner of your screen. Uh, and if you're just listening on the audio, well, he's going to say hello. Hello, And his name is Bob Dolgan with uh, Turnstone Strategies, LLC. Bob, how are you? Doing doing well. It's a little uh, rainy and cold today, but uh, hopefully it clears up later and we can go out and look for some uh, birds here in the forest preserves of the northwest side. Yeah, I don't know what it's why lately uh, Sunday mornings just seem to be rainy and cold uh, or 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 just uh, overcast or just sort of dark. Lately. Yeah, it's unfortunate because it's like our, our day to get out a little bit, but uh, that's all right. We're going to make the best of it. Um, on his right there is Stephanie Bilkey. Uh, she's Conservation Science Manager at Audubon Great Lakes. Good morning, Stephanie. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you both on the show. Uh, I mentioned that Bob sent a, an email uh, the other day, and uh, it was about, we, you know, we just talked with uh, Dr. Alan Armitage very, very briefly about uh, the election and um uh, and he got to be part of it in Georgia for the very first time as a, as a U.S. citizen. Um, and then, uh, Bob, you sent this thing about uh, what's that's going to mean for birds. And if you're like me and you're like Peggy and like you, Bob, obviously, and Stephanie, we all get bombarded with environmental uh, uh, newsletters and emails Fills and, our inboxes, yes. Yeah, the inboxes are, are, are full, and uh, and Peggy will attest to this, uh, as I will, that uh, a lot of the news is not good. That we're, uh, especially when it comes to birds, uh, There's there are all kinds of threats to birds uh, right now. We know that the populations uh, are, are, are dwindling, um, but unfortunately, even the protections for birds are under siege and and that's that's not a good thing so bob what uh, made you write uh, your article about how things might change come january 20th sure so i, I was uh, curious to see actually in the biden administration platform uh or the biden campaign platform i should say at that time um what where was is there anything about um bird conservation and there was a, a whole lot about climate change, uh, which is great. And it looks like, um, you know, the president-elect will uh, re-enter the Paris Climate Accords. Um, but I, I 
one thing I did find that, and I was trying to tie it to to our local birds, because I think we are bombarded with so much information about all the threats that have taken place over the past four years. I mean, any number of, um, you know, legislative or administrative, you know, concerns from the Migratory Bird Treaty Act to the Endangered Species Act. And so I thought I'd look, you know, specifically what would a Biden administration actually do? And uh, one of the planks in the platform had to do with the Clean Water Act, and that is increased enforcement of um, of polluters or against polluters and, and uh, holding them accountable. And so I um, went back and looked at um, an unfortunate incident that had happened here at Burns Harbor, Indiana in um, in 2019, where there was a, a spill of, of cyanide actually that um that killed about three thousand fish and and so if you know there's been a lot of there's been litigation related to that and there's been a sort of what i would describe as from what i can tell and from what i heard from the environmental law and policy center sort of low level of enforcement and so what about birds in this context and local birds so i looked up to see and I, i knew that a purple sandpiper which is a pretty unusual bird that comes down from the arctic um, and, and comes over here to the, the Great Lakes only occasionally, had been seen there uh, in 2019 as well. And so I kind of tied the piece back to um, the purple sandpiper and, uh, and other shorebirds that are going to forage in that same, same water where that spill occurred. So uh, let's hope that, um, you know, with a, a new administration, there's more enforcement against, uh, against polluters. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you tied to real quick was the Environmental Law and Policy Center's report that focused in on Region 5 of EPA, talking about how both um, shrinking funds and shrinking staffing levels has, in the last four years, has really driven this. Yeah, and it, 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 you know, I think it can be hard to kind of grasp exactly what, how that plays out. And so I took a look at the ELPC uh, report, and uh, the way it plays out is there's, there's, that's absolutely correct, there's decreased staffing, um, there's decreased funding, and there's more lax sort of uh, enforcement and regulation of of industries that that pollute, and and mm-hmm. um, and I think it can be hard to kind of find you know a really local example sometimes to sort of help um, personalize and localize the uh, what that means. And so um, you know there there are probably many more examples, unfortunately. Um, you know, not far from Burns Harbor, we have yeah. uh, East Chicago, Indiana, where there's been um, really terrible impacts to the drinking water there, almost on the level of a Flint, uh, Michigan. And um, and the EPA has really moved slowly and, and almost said that everything's better there already. So when it's not, you can just talk to any resident there and they'll tell you that, that it's not. So, um, so there, it's, uh, you know, I think there's a lot, uh, hopefully uh, a bit of optimism. There's still a, a lot that will need to be done or undone for the next uh, few years. Yeah, and that's 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 unfortunate that <laughs> we have to get back all of the progress that was made uh, in eight years of the Obama administration, and and some of it was overturned. Others, uh, other parts of it are in the courts. Um, you know, I can't even imagine what it's like to just get back to to square one. And then try to move forward. Even the Migratory Bird Treaty is uh, under attack. Uh, the Endangered Species Act is. Uh, I mean, these are these are cornerstones of environmental policy in America. That no, I, I who could have predicted that some of this 
would be in danger. Uh, so these are perilous times for for birds and for uh, other critters out there, Bob. Right. Yeah. I mean, those. It, it just seems uh, these were things, uh, at least for me, I almost took for granted <laughs> the Endangered Species Act and the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. And then to hear that they're going to be uh, uh, scaled back in some way is just um, unfathomable. I mean, we're talking about everything from uh, chimney swifts being you know, removed from a chimney, whether that's uh, permissible in their nesting to um, to our, our beloved Great Lakes piping plovers and maybe mm-hmm. having more industrial uh, enterprises popping up near where they nest. I mean, why? It just it's very hard for me to understand why that would be done when we, we have, um, you know, so much to. And in fact, bird populations are under greater threat, <laughs> as I'm sure um, you've reported on. I mean, we've seen declines in uh, bird populations over the past three to four decades on the order of 30%. So um, it seems like why would we do these things to actually make it tougher for them to get by when they're already facing so many threats? Yeah. And by the way, uh, you mentioned the piping plovers or piping plovers, however you turn, you know, decide to pronounce it. Uh, Bob Dolgan and, 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 under your name, it says Turnstone Strategies, LLC. I could just as easily have put Director of Monty and Rose, which is a wonderful film that uh, we've discussed on this program before. It was part of the, uh, the One Earth Film Festival. Um, it has been seen uh, a lot of places. It's an award-winning film. Uh, and you're working on Monty and Rose Part 2, aren't you? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, so, uh, Monty and Rose was a, a film about uh, Chicago's piping plovers that I made last year. Um, the plovers uh, have they came back in 2020, so we're going to make a sequel to that film. And I just uh, in the past month had been up in uh, Western Michigan, where these birds were actually hatched mm-hmm. in 2017. And uh, high on the sand dunes there is where by, by Monty Silver came Lake? from. Is that where you were? Silver Lake. Yeah, Silver Lake State Park um, was where Monty was from and Muskegon State Park, uh, which is where Rose is from. And um, I think what I'm really excited about is, first of all, the, the video we got, our, our videographer Mitch took incredible aerial footage and other shots uh, up there in western Michigan. It's going to be such a contrast. You know, we have beautiful shots of Chicago, but it's such a different environment. And uh, and then we'll trace their story up to the present and then have a bit about 2020 story um, in the end of the piece. And we've, we've also gone back and interviewed some of the same people um, who were in the previous film and, and checked in with them. So uh, it's going to be a, a, I'm really looking forward to when it's done, being able to share that. Um, but I think, you know, it, it just uh, shows I hopefully will show the value that a single species can bring at both um, in terms of, um, you know, the community that sprung up uh, around Monty and Rose in Chicago. And there was a community before Chicago and continues to be on the western side of Michigan where um, where folks are over there monitoring plovers, too. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is a story of it's a Great Lakes story as much as a Chicago story. And, and hopefully that will come across uh, in this next film. So uh, I'm looking forward to sharing it. And and we will uh, share it on this program. So that takes us to Stephanie Bilkey, 
uh, from Audubon Great Lakes. Um, you've been watching this as well. You you obviously uh, recognize Monty and Rose as a, as a wonderful success story and a, a, a marketing tool, I would imagine, for the work you're doing. Um, what I want to ask is because everything turns on the pandemic this year. We you know earlier in the year. Uh, there were natural, especially the lakefront, uh, was a place where very few human beings were uh, were showing up, uh, with good reason. Um, that kind of what what were you seeing there, and has that changed as the uh, the year has gone on, Stephanie? Well, um, the place where Monty and Rose were nesting um, at Montrose Beach was uh, technically closed by the park district. And, and still is. So we have seen a big reduction in people using uh, the beach there. And I think that really helped uh, Mani and Rose make sure that they were safe and that they were protected from disturbance because that's one of the biggest threats that face uh, piping plovers is especially um, actually dog dogs off leash um, chaffins, even though um, dogs aren't permitted in, in the area, in the natural area where they nest. Um, but sometimes, you know, people are walking by, they're playing sports, they have dogs, and that can um, potentially lead to nest failure or um, chicks being predated. So um, I think that this year was definitely a good year. We saw um, three chicks fledge and uh, another successful nest. And um, this year, the pandemic worked in their favor. It was a little bit more difficult to get, make sure we had a uh, monitors getting out uh, in time, but we we were out and making sure that um, any any other kind of threats that were out there for those birds, we uh, made sure that they had a successful nesting season. But that's you know that's just one uh, species. Uh, there's there's a lot that goes on uh, along the uh, the the lakeshore and uh, in, in Lake Michigan. What uh, you're, you're, the National Audubon is working on a number of things. Uh, one of the things you guys alerted me to is survival by degrees, 389 bird species on the brink. Um, and as uh, Bob alluded to earlier, uh, it, it found that two-thirds of North American birds are at risk from climate change. So, we're, so we've got this pandemic, which is one thing, uh, and that's, that's affecting people, but climate change continues unabated. Um, and uh, we've got all those other species. So w- w- can you describe that work a little bit by Audubon? Sure, yeah. So Survival by Degrees is our latest climate report that came out last year, and you can find that on um, National Audubon's website, audubon.org, and um, it talks about how uh, we could lose two-thirds of our our, uh, our birds in the if, if we have a warming up to three degrees Celsius. But it also brings in um, an element of hope in that if we are able to prevent that warming and stick with a, a, a lower trend of uh, just a 1.5 degree increase, which is where, where we're kind of at already right now, but um, if we're able to prevent an increased warming, which is projected, then we could save um, 150 species um, from... Uh, becoming extinct or severely endangered because of climate, uh, and th- and that would be that would be significant. Uh, and also, um, in terms of the Great Lakes, um, uh, another report you sent to us was 
which Great Lakes wetlands do birds need most? And you guys are, are trying to determine that also. Right. So um, the Great Lakes uh, have their own threats that uh, they face because of climate change. And some of those are uh, increased uh, fluctuations of water level. Um, right now, or we've been we've been in a period of extremely high, record high water levels in the Great Lakes, and we've also seen record lows in the last few years. And um, we also have concerns of flooding and drought. And um, because of all of these threats, we have to um, take a look at our our wetlands, which you know are the interface between the Great Lakes and our our water our river systems, and also really important habitat for a lot of um, threatened bird species um, that we refer to as marsh birds or, or wetland birds. Mm-hmm. And um, we did this prioritization, determine what, uh, where we should work to have the biggest impact on these bird populations in the Great Lakes. So um, we uh, worked with spatial scientists on our National Audubon National Science team and came out with this map that um, you can take a look at. Um, I, I believe you can maybe provide the link in, in some of the comments here. But um, we uh, are using that map to guide Audubon Great Lakes work so that we can um, go to some of these really critical wetlands and uh, restore them for birds and make them more resilient for climate change that we are going to be seeing. Uh, we should get that uh, they're, map. They're all up. <laughs> see, see, Peggy's all over this. I She's love just... this restream. I can like boom out to everything at once. <laughs> so this, this has just changed your life, hasn't it, Peggy? So this is yes. great. Um, so and Kayla's busy tweeting. Um, good for her. Great. Uh, and something else you guys are doing this week that uh, I want to mention is uh, that you're you're hosting a webinar what, at Thursday, right? Is that it? I think. Yep, uh, Thursday the nineteenth. Right. So that webinar is going to be focused on one of our wetlands here in the Chicago region, where we're kicking off um, one of our restoration projects. That's going to be connecting um, Powderhorn Lake back to Wolf mm-hmm. Lake. On the south side. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? 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 What does that mean to connect Powderhorn Lake back to Wolf Lake? I mean, for for the average person who's kind of shrugging and going, sure. "Yeah, so what's that all about?" <laughs> Yeah, so um, uh, probably not surprising, the Chicago area, a lot of our water bodies have um, been severely altered and changed, and we no longer have natural flow between water bodies um, that we would normally have that uh, ensures the, the right kind of habitat type that birds need. And when you get, you know, stagnant wetlands, you have an increase in invasive plant species, and um, they can kind of take over and you don't have as much interface between um, open water and native wetland vegetation that is really important for birds, um, but also is an important mechanism for making sure that uh, water is cleaned. So we get clean water for people and for birds and better habitat for birds. And that kicks off again uh, this, uh, it's a webinar this Thursday, 6 p.m., November 19th, um, and uh, I have the link at MikeNovak.net, and maybe we can get that uh, link out as well, Peggy. Um, it's uh, done. Yes. <laughs> I just okay, fine. It's like, just it's sit done. back and just you know what? I, okay, I'm just going to have some coffee here and, uh, and sit back and see what happens. Can, can I say I registered for it too? 
Yes, you can. I did. Okay, there you go. Uh, and will we hope more people but that register? That was yesterday, not today. Oh, okay. Well, you're you're really ahead of the game. So, uh, in the the remaining minutes we have left, uh, I'm kind of interested in both you you both approach birding from slightly different uh, uh, positions. Uh, Bob, you know, you're, you're the marketing guy and, uh, looking for strategies and you're the, the, on the scientific end. Um, uh, Stephanie, uh, I'm just kind of interested in where you feel as we come to the end of 2020, uh, you know, and Bob, you've already mentioned that, that, you know, the, the elections have consequences and it changes things, but what are your observations uh, on the year and, and how do you feel has been uh, as a birding year, Bob? Great question. So I, um, it's been, uh, it's actually been a pretty interesting and, and good birding year in a lot of ways. I mean, we've seen a big increase in the number of people interested in birding because we're, you know, stuck at home looking our, in our backyards a lot more. Yeah. Um, and and it's been a respite for people to get out, and and I think park sort of visitorship has has shown that in a lot of places. Um, so it, it's actually been been good. It's been you know as, as Stephanie mentioned for for birds like Monty and Rose at a closed Montrose Beach, it was likely good that there weren't that many people out there um, for for them this year, and they were able to kind of spread out on the beach, and they successfully fledged three chicks. So um, in that regard, it's been good. And then um, there's been some really interesting sightings in 2020 here in the Chicago area. Um, you know, there's, there's what's called a winter finch eruption happening right now. No. Um, eruption, I-R-R-U-P-T. The pine siskins right? along not, the not a, not a eruption. Or, oh, okay. Yeah. That's different. Yeah. Yeah. The finches and the pine siskins. Um, the pine siskins, the purple finches, the common red poles are, are around and many others, even in Gross Peaks. So um, there's there's been a lot of uh, good things about birding this year. And, um, you know, I think it's been a, a, a great outlet for people um, to take their minds off of things. And it's one thing that hasn't really changed all that much. Um, so um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, but, um, but still, I think there's a lot, you know, to do to educate the public about about birds and all the treasures that we have right here, even in Chicago. Do you think that uh, uh, what's happened uh, uh, has long range uh, repercussions? So certainly, uh, with Monty and Rose, you you, you kind of caught a break this year. They last year was fraught because there was going to be the rock concert on the lake, and there were all you know. And there's the usual activity on the most. Uh, populated beach in Chicago. Uh, and then this year, the pandemic happened, and it allowed you, it seems to me, to sort of, um, oh, to solidify the position of that Monty and Rose have and, 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 and get the science out and, and protect, uh, create a protected area for those birds. Uh, is, is that going to hold, do you think, Bob and Stephanie? Um, or, or do we have to worry once the pandemic is over that we're back to protecting those birds from dogs and volleyball players and joggers and everything else? Uh, Stephanie, maybe you would like to address that. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with, or just, a. uh, on, on Bob's point that, you know, the birds out there showing us that they can be really resilient by, you know, even, even though they have so many threats against them, when you provide them the habitat that they need, they can thrive 
And that's that's a really positive message that you know I look for look to and keep reminding myself that even though we do have all these threats that the birds want to survive and they will we can we know what kind of tools we can use to help them. Um, can I, yeah, ask, I think I was just going to ask you uh, the the birds the species that Bob mentioned a little earlier the eruption is that what it is Bob um, is yeah. is yeah is this this is um, what is this? Is this an anomaly or is it related to anything in particular, Stephanie? So there, there is some, um, every year there's a winter finch report that uses the data that we have on different masts of, which is like crops of uh, pine cones and um, seeds up in the boreal forest. And if it's, uh, you know, not such a good year for those crops, then those uh, bird species that rely on those um, tend to move south uh, and look for food elsewhere. And so this does happen periodically. And um, so we we have some information that helps us understand what's going on there. But I also think with a lot of these birds coming here, it's a, it's a really important reminder that these birds rely on this habitat type, the boreal forest, um, which is one of the most threatened ecosystems for um, due to climate change because it's going to have to keep pushing north with warming and um, we're it's going to run out of space to go to. So a lot of these birds that we really get excited to see in the Chicago region, you know, those are some of our most threatened species. Yeah, yeah and Peggy knows that because, you know, she she can look out her back door and just see all these species and she knows what they are. I'm not that guy. Uh, so that she understands that a, a lot better than I do. Um, so uh, your work this year, Bob, what's uh, obviously you're going to finish the uh, money rose Two. what else are you looking forward to doing? So I just started a weekly newsletter called this week in birding that will be available um, starting actually this Wednesday, which is the one year anniversary of Illinois piping plover day. Uh, hooray. Um, so, um, there you go. yeah. All right. Thanks. Um, and, um, so, uh, this week in birding, uh, the information is at, uh, twibchicago.com, uh, T-W-I-B chicago.com. And, uh, the idea is to provide people, uh, in their inboxes, uh, information about bird identification and bird, conservation and bird behavior on a weekly basis. So uh, I'm really excited to get get back to doing some writing. In the meantime, finishing up the Monty and Rose, uh, the second Monty and Rose film, and um, and also just celebrating Montrose Beach. I, I want to just put a plug in for the fact that there is an effort underway to expand the protected area at Montrose Beach right now um, that probably wouldn't have taken place if it hadn't been for um, Monty and Rose and and the pandemic, frankly. So um, another bright spot. Uh, well, I'm hoping that happens. And again, go to twibchicago.com for This Week in Birding. That's the uh, new effort uh, by Bob Dolgan. Um, and uh, Stephanie Bilkey, thank you so much uh, for being with us. You, uh, folks can go to uh, Audubon uh, as well. I've got the, the link up. Uh, on my website and uh, the various initiatives that that we talked about. Um, Thank you so much for being uh, part of the program this morning. And let's uh, let's all keep our our fingers crossed uh, for our birds and their health um, as we move forward. And I'm hoping that uh, um, 
the the numbers can go up, but uh, it's 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 a little touch and go at the moment. So, uh, thank you both. You guys have a great Sunday, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. All right, thank you so much. All right, it's the Mike thank Novak you. Show with Peggy Malecki, meteorologist Rick DeMaio, coming up next. The world has changed. A year ago, you were growing food because it was fun. Now it's important. That's why you need Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights. Thanks to the best science, the wavelengths are tuned to your plant's needs. They're versatile, they're elegant, they have a five-year warranty, and they're made in America. Peggy and I are huge fans. Go to MikeNovak.net for the code to save 5% on your purchase. Go to HappyLeafLED.com to get more information. Happy Leaf, it's about the light. Collective Resource Compost wants to show you how they make composting easy in Chicagoland. You can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by diverting food scraps from landfills. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Composting is what nature would do if we just got out of her way. Learn how easy it is to divert waste at your home, school, or workplace. Go to collectiveresource.us. Since 2001, DiveHeart has been revolutionizing rehabilitation using zero gravity and scuba therapy to give confidence, independence, self-esteem, and yes, freedom to children, veterans, and others with disabilities. At DiveHeart, we believe in the power of partnership because together we can do great things. Let DiveHeart help you imagine the possibilities in your life. Go to DiveHeart.org to learn more. Whether you have a garden, a farm, or grow houseplants, you need microbial buddies to reconnect you to nature. The folks at Blazing Star sell probiotics from industry leader Tinyo Biologicals, which means they sell good soil biology, which means they maximize soil biodiversity. That results in healthy soil and healthy plants. Tinyo beneficial microbial soil components will add a major boost to depleted soils. Go to blazing-star.com and check out their BioGarden line for home gardeners. Okay, welcome back <laughs> to the Mike Nowak Show with Peggy Malecki. What are, what are you embarrassed about, Peggy? No, it's just like, oh, COVID songs again. Oh, yeah, I know. It's like we, <laughs> it looks like we might be going back into the COVID uh, music uh, because uh, it's back. So I'm just trying to keep it. A uh, okay. a smile on my face while we do this. Well, I'm going to let you uh, well, do this. Well, wh- what? Yeah, so I was going to smile about uh, some of the forefront programs coming up. Yeah, that sounds good to me. But before yeah. before you do that, let's just uh, let's go to our friend uh, Rick. You're there, aren't you? I'm there. Okay. Well, uh, we'll be with you in exactly sixty seconds. Go for it, Peggy. Well, the second session of Forefront Ideas in Food and Farming it's happening today. But unless you're registered, you won't be able to participate today. We say that so you'll be prepared for the next workshop, which is December 13th. Regenerative Agriculture, Details of a Profitable Journey. Nationally recognized North Dakota farmer and rancher Gabe Brown stands at the forefront of the regenerative agriculture movement. They use the word for, perhaps, forefront. See, that's at the forefront. I get it. There we it. go. Okay. 
He's perhaps <laughs> best known for popular popularizing. Why didn't you pick a word I can say? Uh, I don't know. I, that's that's my fault. You can blame me. For making popular the concept of cover crop cocktails as a key strategy for jumpstarting soil health and nourishing soil biology. Now, Gabe's a farmer, rancher, author, and healthy food system advocate. He'll share the story of how, after four years of hail and drought, he, along with his family, took a broken, degraded, and unprofitable farm, and by following nature's principles, regenerated it into a healthy, profitable farm teeming with life. The Forefront sessions are free online via Zoom, but you do need to sign up. You can go to mchenry.edu slash Forefront to register and also check out their upcoming events for December, January, and February of next year. That's mchenry.edu slash Forefront. All right. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Let's go to meteorologist Rick DeMaio. And all i got to ask you, Rick, is why do Sunday mornings seem to be gray and dull and <laughs> just kind of nasty? Yeah, but last Sunday morning was nice. You remember that? Yeah, that's yeah. true. It was. It was last. It was nice well, last week. That was the crazy yeah, I... seven days in a row of plus 70 temperatures yeah. in November, which had never, ever happened before in Chicago. <laughs> I know, and this is even if you like use say you know data from like Midway Airport uh, or the lakefront, because you know remember our our site of our long-term climatological history uh, for this area has moved a couple of times, which is oftentimes why you'll see records for you know overnight low temperatures being much colder um, at O'Hare in the last 40 years as opposed to you know, in the early 1800s and early 1900s when the official observation site uh, was Daly Plaza. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty crazy stuff. And it's almost like last Sunday, Mike, was beautiful. The sun came up, and today is like it's, it's cloudy. It's almost like, you know, like this morning, President Trump sent out a tweet saying that, you know, President Biden won this, won this rigged election, and there was some hope that he was going to concede. But then his anti-concession medication kicked in, and about 90 minutes later, he said, "I'm not going to con- not going to concede. We're going to keep fighting until we win." So, you know, who knows? He's all over the place. But as long as we know that come January 20th, the United States will be back in the Paris Climate Accord. That's all I care about at this point. That is a, a really good point. Yes, uh, we we need to be uh, in that accord. So it's good to hear. So, yeah, and you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but you know, when we signed on to the Paris Climate Accord November 6th, um, we did so with the almost the kind of fear back then in 2016 uh, that the tea leaves were kind of showing Trump. Um, but what people don't realize is once you signed on to it, you were in it for four years. So, even though President Trump came out in that Rose Garden speech and said we picked Paris or we picked Pittsburgh over Paris. Not realizing that Pittsburgh at one point was one of the dirtiest cities on planet Earth with all the coal uh, and oil drilling that was going on in that particular area. And they've cleaned it up. So that was pretty much the wrong city to pick. Uh, but little did people know that we were in that until November 6, 2020. We only got out of it officially last week, even though President Trump said back in 2017, we're not going to stay in this thing. So we're only going to be out of it for a period of about 70 days. Um, and as soon as we get back into it, um, hopefully there'll be a little bit more federal uh, government intervention uh, and interaction 
uh, with some of the academic and some of the research communities who basically stubbed their nose at the president and said, we don't care what you say, we're in this and we're in this for the long haul. And, and let's be honest about it. Let's, uh, it, the, the Paris Accord is a kind of roadmap. There's, there's, it's, it's not legally binding to any country. It is just a way forward so, so we can stop putting so much uh, carbon dioxide into our atmosphere. Um, and there are people, you know, people I've had on this show before, like uh, uh, Guy McPherson, who says, oh, we're, we're way past that and uh, we're, we're screwed at this point. Uh, but better that we go down fighting than just throwing our hands in the air. Right. But I mean, how long can you ignore that little, yeah, right peg. But how long can you ignore that thing that keeps coming up on your dashboard that says maintenance required, right? (laughs) Before, (laughs) before your car seizes up, right? Right. I mean, you look and you go, eh, I got another 500 miles. Uh, It's one thing with oil, but once, once the gas goes all the way down below F or below E on your, on your meter, uh, you got to pull over and do something about it. And, and stop um, in the middle hopefully, of the road. Hopefully, hopefully, yeah, we're not in the middle of the road, right, Peg? Um, hopefully, we'll be able to do something about that uh, yeah. once January comes around, as I mentioned. And, you know, who knows? Uh, maybe, maybe the president will have some different thoughts over the next week or two. Um, I don't know. But you know what? In, in all fairness, and I have to be honest about this, he's doing what he thinks needs to be done to make sure that – the people who supported him feel like they're being justified for voting for him. Um, he's, he's going through the motions of, you know, having a recount, which is legally, you know, that's fine. Um, he's going through the motions of having, you know, some of these lawsuits levied against certain states, even though there's absolutely, absolutely no evidence. Um, and in another week or two, they'll realize that it's frivolous. But there's nothing wrong a week after the president-elect was called by the, you know, news outlets. Uh, to do what he needs to do. So I think for our sake, we just need to chill out and realize that this is part of the process. Um, And even though, if you think about it, um, Halloween seemed like a month and a half ago, um, you know, December 1st and December 10th will come upon us very, very quickly, as it always does this time of the year, right? Yeah, absolutely. Although this time, this time, in uh, in uh, comparison to last year, we, we had already had a uh, one big snowstorm, maybe two, uh, and uh, here we are with the seventies instead. So it's amazing how year to year those things can change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's interesting to note because I was just talking with uh, two of my friends who are uh, long range forecasters. I guess we're talking about climate and not politics all of a sudden here, but. Um, uh, it does seem that we might actually go back into the 60s around here for Thursday and Friday of this week and quite possibly um, see mild conditions for the rest of the month and maybe the first two weeks of December. So hmm. if you want to talk about that now, we can, or about that later, I'm fine with that, or which uh, way oh, you uh, want to go. Well, we could talk about that now. I mean, it's not – here we are. Uh, people are – we're selfish. We, we like the warm weather. We don't want the summer to go away. On the other hand, right. uh, seasons have to change. And if we had 60 degrees uh, all through the winter, there would be some people would be saying, wow, isn't that wonderful? And other people like me would be saying, that's a little scary. So we have to, mm-hmm. uh, we have to balance those two things. Right. And if, you want to, and if you want to be an environmentalist um, and someone who cares about climate change, and have 60s in December and not complain about it, move to Florida or Southern California. (laughs) 
Exactly, because I when when de- December comes, I expect cold weather. I expect snow in right. Chicago, um, right. and uh, I and I know you do too, uh, Rick. I like snow. I know you like it. You, oh yeah, I don't mind it. Yeah, well, I I know you ski on it as well, cross country ski, um, and uh, I I I've done that exactly once. Um, <laughs> but really, and, really, oh my god, you got to get into it. Yeah, I haven't crossed country um, since high school either. So, yeah, yeah, it, you know, it's it's a great exercise. But let's talk about some of the stuff that I sent you in my weekly weather update yesterday. Sure. And you can share this with your uh, listeners or viewers on Facebook. By any, you know, you could you could you could strip that stuff from the PowerPoint and post it. I don't mind. It's all you know, it's all government material. But you look at the areas that have had snow so far this year: uh, northern Wisconsin, Upper Peninsula, Michigan much of Minnesota, Northwest Iowa. I mean, they got so far anywhere between a foot and a foot and a half. I mean, they are way above normal snowfall and they had snow on the ground um, as of till yesterday. Um, And then another massive system blew through the Pacific Northwest and into the Rocky Mountains. Uh, People are skiing uh, in Colorado. They're skiing in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. They're skiing in uh, places like... um, you know, Deer Valley in Utah, maybe not yet up in the Pacific Northwest. Their season kind of starts a little bit later. Uh, but there's been another early outbreak of cold weather and snow um, across the Rocky Mountains and the Northern Plains. We're beginning to see more and more of these. Um, and that's good for the ski season because they have really been hurt by some late starts to their season. I think it was a couple of years ago, there was no snow anywhere yeah. in parts of Colorado um, right through Thanksgiving weekend. And in a year where, you know, resorts have really had to scale back, you know, what type of services and amenities they provide uh, to the guests, particularly during the summertime with the pandemic, the fact that they're getting an early jump on the ski season really helps. And I got a feeling that if you're skiing during the pandemic, you're probably not too concerned about spreading the virus because everybody's wearing some sort of goggles or mask on their face. And if there's one way that you can probably wear a mask and not feel bad about it, it's during the wintertime and during ski season. It actually keeps your, your mouth and your face a little bit warmer than normal, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And uh, you're right. I was looking at those maps that, uh, that you, you sent us, um, yeah. and um, it, that's kind of surprising that there wasn't that much snow up there because we've been so warm here. So is there a, a particular demarcation between those areas and us? Yeah, I think if you draw a line for around, say, Omaha to about Minneapolis to just north of Green Bay, uh, there's easily about 10 to 12 inches of snow uh, that have fallen so far. And it was interesting because the other day I was doing one of my classes, um, you know, through Zoom and basically moved everything online by now. Um, And here we are talking about 70 degree weather here in illinois this was on tuesday we had that line of severe weather come through Mm -hmm. and one of my students has already gone back home uh a because he caught the virus and b he didn't feel like staying in a dormitory on campus with other sick kids he's up in minneapolis he's like mr demio it's snowing out right now up here in minneapolis so i'd appreciate if you keep the keep the glee about the 70 degree weather a little bit lower on the (laughs) the needle there (laughs) and sure enough you know he was you know, this is this is this is what's happening now. I mean, I have students now spread out over the Midwest because either a kids never came back to campus, or schools are just calling it quits early, 
and saying, okay, that's it, we're done with the, with the sudden increase in the positivity rate over the last couple of weeks. Actually, that's a good uh, point you bring up. Uh, how is that affecting uh, your teaching? I know that you mentioned earlier to me this week that you were ta- taking one of your courses that you were going to meet, and you said, no, we're doing it online. So I, t- I, I imagine a lot of that is happening. Yeah, and that's, that's Lewis University. Uh, they went from, you know, four to seven to nine to 14 and a half. And just last week, they went up to 17 and a half percent. And I just told my students, I go, most likely I won't see you guys again for the rest of the semester. Um, and part of it was because even though we were doing the labs um, and the homework and the quizzes through Zoom on Thursday, you know, we were doing the face-to-face classes on Tuesday. But as the semester went on, I had literally three to five kids per class of, you know, of 25 kids either test positive or had to quarantine or had to go home. And here they are, you know, trying to follow along while I'm doing a recorded session. And it it just wasn't the logistics just weren't as good as if we were all in the same sort of, you know, quote, room, which was, you know, a Zoom session. And that's what we decided to do two weeks ago. I said, guys, you know, this is just not fair to the students who are not there at that time, um, nor are they as attentive to a recording as opposed to something that's done live uh, where they can interact and ask questions. Um, And I said, let's just do, you know, the rest of the semester, you know, basically online. And after conferring with the department chair um, and also the dean, they said, that's fine. Do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, you know, we're talking about someone like me who's 57 years old and five years ago had pneumonia, was in the hospital for three days. I certainly don't want to get sick. A, I don't want to feel like crap. B, I want to be able to teach these kids. So what would happen now if instructors are getting sick? Um, who's going to take their place and who's going to be able to do the work that's necessary to make sure these kids are able to get through the semester? So when you keep hearing you know, some of these idiots on right-wing radio, <laughs> um, uh, you know, and, um, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, say, say, say things like, you need to send, you need to send the kids back to school, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, really? Do you realize that why we're doing this is not just because of them, but it's because of us and we want to make sure that, A, older faculty members don't get sick and we can make sure these kids get the value for at least 99.9% of their dollar and not say, well, we'll do the last three weeks on some sort of remote platform where the teacher isn't even involved. So there's so much more involved with, with e-learning and trying to get everybody um, the, you know, the, the coursework that they, that they demand at this point. Uh, and I get it. I mean, sorry, I understand. Sorry, sorry I crop like that. <laughs> uh, uh, but I understand why you would want to be uh, – uh, safe and careful uh, about that. Um, very quickly, uh, I'm looking at your drought monitor. It doesn't look like a yeah. lot. It doesn't look like a lot has changed in the last few weeks. No, <laughs> no, it hasn't, Mike and Peg. And you know, if you think about the warmth that we got, um, it was either a helped out by the recent drought that we've had here, meaning that the ground was warm, or b. You look at the area where that air came from, it came from the desert southwest. So all of that warming, which was either enhanced by downslope warming, or it came from an area in the United States that's basically bone dry. I mean, it was a combination of those two things that got you warm during the day. But what got us warm overnight 
was the flow of air off the Gulf of Mexico. So it's interesting to point out that there's two different ways we can get warm. We can get warm during the day when you bring in that dry southwest flow, which was occurring for the first three or four days. But once we got into Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, the overnight low temperatures uh, didn't drop off because we were actually able to increase the, the dew points, and that was straight out of the Gulf of Mexico. So if you have two different ways that you can get warm, a large body of water or a large area of literally drought-ridden ground, uh, we have both of those to the south and southwest of us, and those, that's one of the reasons why some parts of the Midwest are still running 12 to 15 degrees above normal for the month. And wow. uh, and looking at that drought, basically, with the, the, it looks like the northeast has improved a tiny bit, but basically it's like mm-hmm. the, the Mississippi River is the yeah. dividing line once again. Everything west is just just not getting rain, and, and, and the east and the southeast especially, they're, they're doing fine. Yeah, and, and, and you got to remember that, you know, we still have fairly wet April and May and early June. So that drought monitor is based on how much rain you've had pretty much over the last six to nine months. But they never really got into that um, during the summertime or during the springtime, you know, over the Rocky Mountains and the desert southwest. So unless things change during the wintertime, and I don't really see them changing much, mm-hmm. um, we're going to ha- we're going to have the same amount of dryness um through december through january through february and if you get into march and april and you're at this level you know look out for what could be a repeat maybe of 1988 and 2012 and that's how droughts start matter of fact i just did in my severe and unusual weather class um a week on you know a week a weekly modules on heat waves and droughts and every large-scale drought is always a, a multi-season event. It either starts the season before and gets worse during that season or is a combination of a couple of years of just low precipitation. So droughts just don't happen in one year. They're, they're multi-year events. Um, and if you look at the overall weather pattern that we're heading into, um, it still does not bode well for large amounts of precipitation um, either in California or anywhere west of the Mississippi at this point, Mike and Pig. Yikes. Yikes. That's that's uh, really not good. Um, and no. uh, go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 no. That, that, I, I was done on that point because um, the overall pattern is a non-El Nino event. It's more of a La Nina event. And the um, uh, it's funny because the information that I was going back and forth is a friend of mine who's now – um, over in Spain, Barcelona, Spain, um, he's, he's the head meteorologist now for DHL, which is all transportation and logistics. And he's a really good long-range forecast. He generally goes out about three to four weeks, and his forecast is basically one of above-normal temperatures through the second two weeks of November and the first two weeks of December. After that, that's kind of hard to figure out what's going to happen. But it seems like that the pattern we're in right now seems to be the pattern that we're going to stay in. Um, and if this continues to go maybe another two weeks, is there a chance of something developing in the Gulf of Mexico uh, that could maybe impact the northern Gulf or maybe the southern tip of Florida, which we just saw with her, Hurricane Ada? We're still not done with hurricanes, as you can see with uh, Hurricane Iota currently yeah. moving through the southern Caribbean at this point. Which is a thirtieth name storm, um, and that's crazy. <laughs> that, that, yes, that's un- you know we're going to have to go to uh, 
uh, a different alphabet after this too, because uh, <laughs> yeah, know, what yeah, happens and, if and, they run out? Oh, I don't know, Peg. <laughs> uh, uh, I don't know, but it, it it's funny that the letter it. I is is iota, and we you know we use that that name that 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 word every once in a while when someone says, mm-hmm. you know what, Rick. I've been listening to you for the last 10 minutes and you have not made one iota of sense, which means, you know, something small and something little. And, and here is iota and it's not a little storm. I mean, if you look back at Ada, that thing literally went all the way from just north of Venezuela, got down as far south as 12 and a half degrees north latitude, uh, went into Nicaragua and Honduras, which unfortunately is where iota is going to go. Um, which this could be devastating once again because it's the same type of setup, slow-moving hurricane uh, that once you get you know, that far south is not much in the way of steering currents. This could, pro- could produce, again, 10 to 15 inches of rain. Now, fortunately, Ada did not produce the rain that we were, that we were thinking was going to get, so they only got 10 to 15 inches. Okay, they didn't get the 20 or 25, which would have been catastrophic, similar to what happened with Hurricane Mitch. But now you have another 10 to 15 inches coming on top of 10 to 15 inches that fell just last week. So could Iota be the one that could be devastating? In other words, again, a two-pronged event. And when, when you look at this, again, this is what the Paris Climate Accord helps small countries like Nicaragua and Honduras is to have people from other countries like the United States and help them build up an infrastructure that is both mitigating and is adaptive to a changing climate that overall reduces their vulnerability. So when I, when I keep people, when I keep hearing people say, we need to pull out of that because we need to make America first again. Since when did making America first again, I'm I hope that we never have to use that term again, um, make America first again, mean that we don't help other countries. I thought that's what, that's what like the letters C-A-R-E stood for. Remember you used to see those commercials all the time when you were yeah. a kid watching cartoons on a Sunday morning? Or like when you were a kid, you donated to UNICEF. Does that mean in certain parts of the United States, we don't care about UNICEF anymore? And we don't care about care anymore? We don't care about the UN? Last I checked, that wasn't on the United States list of being a great country. So again, when you see some of these developing countries have to go through some of this massive flooding, I, I, I just hope that it tugs, tugs a little bit at, at the heartstrings of people who turn their backs on these countries for the last four years. I, I totally get it. All right, let's get a, uh, a forecast uh, for the next few days. All right, well, for the next few hours, the cold front is passing through. Um, I don't know about you, but I was up at 530 this morning enjoying temperatures in the mid-50s. So the mid-50s are now over Indiana and Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's 40 degrees currently with mid-30s just out to the west of us. So we've kind of reached our high. Um, I don't think we're going to see anything in the way of any snow flurries or snow showers today, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of windblown wet flakes move through. Otherwise, we, don't, we won't see any sun until tomorrow. But again, Mike and Peg, this is typical November stuff for us. So we got a 976 millibar low moving through the Great Lakes. Uh, it's to the north of us, so we're on the bottom part of it. So windy, cool today, sunshine tomorrow, high about 40 to 45, and it definitely looks like temperatures uh, probably much cooler during the day on Tuesday as that next little cool front comes through. So sunny tomorrow, mid to upper 40s, sunny on Tuesday, low 40s, back up to 50 on Wednesday, 
But just as quickly as we got cold, we warmed right back up, low to mid-60s on Thursday, maybe even low to mid-60s on Friday, and then somewhat near normal weather for um, Saturday and Sunday of next week. But I guarantee you, nothing in the way of any snow and nothing in the way of any Arctic cold coming at us for probably the next three to four weeks at this point. Hmm. That will be interesting. Do, do I hear another golf game? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> that's what you I'm know thinking. what? I think the only way to play golf now, Peg, is to break into a golf course that's closed for the wintertime. But you never know. <laughs> you never know. No, there's some that stay open, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Rick, thank you so much. You have yeah. a great Sunday, and we will talk to you next week. Take care, Mike and Peg. Be well. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Um, and that uh, kind of does it for us. I want to thank everybody who was on the show today, the great Alan Armitage. And don't forget to get a copy of his book, uh, Herbaceous Perennial Plants, 4th Edition. If you use the code Mike, M-I-K-E, you will get free shipping. So we'll let him know about that. Uh, Also, Bob Dolgan and Stephanie Bilkey. Thank you. Thanks to Kayla. Thanks to Rick DeMaio. Thanks to Kathleen. Uh, Have we missed anybody, Peggy? Uh, uh, Legata and Basil. Legata and Basil. Okay. Until next time, go green or... Go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. (laughs) 